0: the golden spike at 150 years we celebrate the transcontinental railroad's 150th anniversary and the uniting of a nation here's doug wright on ksl news radio 102.7 fm and 1160 a.m
1: it is so good to have you all along on this conference weekend and a great opportunity today to talk about an event that only happens once Every 150 years and will never happen again, the sesquicentennial of the driving of the Golden Spike. And joining us today is one of the co-chairs of the Spike 150 Commission, my friend Doug Foxley. Doug, good to have you here.
0: Oh, Dougie, just totally delighted to be here with
1: you. And then, giving credibility to us all today, is Nathan Anderson with the Union Pacific Railroad. Nathan, thank you, and thank you. We're so happy to be part
0: of this celebration.
1: And Doug, we've got to describe his gnarly beard. I mean, this looks like it's right out of the photo of 1869
0: on May 10th. All right, Nathan took the challenge, and uh, beginning May of last year, he started growing a beard. And I'm telling you, he has smoked everybody with this beard. I wish we could uh, adequately describe you, but uh, I don't think you'd want to see at night on a hill okay <laughs> sasquatch lives okay
2: I think let's just say that when you challenge me to a beard contest, be prepared to come in second. I was
1: going to say, I think Rutherford B. Hayes comes to mind here. I mean, this <laughs> is a good-looking beard. Doug, maybe you could set the stage 150 years since the driving of the Spike.
0: Well, I have to tell you, probably with the exception of the Civil War, the most significant event of the 19th century. And it was an event that really changed the world and changed Utah and changed where we live. And it was uh, it was amazing. Uh, it was the equivalent of the moonshot And we just thought that this was so significant that we had to have a really big, big party and a big, big celebration. And so, as I've said, Doug, move over Winter Olympics. We've got the golden spike coming.
1: You know, many things are already in the rearview mirror. There have been movies shown that we saw. Union Pacific, by the way, Nathan. Yes. And there have been art exhibits, all kinds of things that have unfolded already. And still, much is to come. The public is welcome at virtually every... Everything.
0: Well, and I, Doug, there, there's so, so many things. But the thing that I am the most excited about, and this took a long, long time, but working with the Archivist of the United States, we have, coming to Utah in early May, the 1862 Pacific Railroad Act signed by President Abraham Lincoln. And it was a, almost miraculous, but we have the Golden Spike... Uh, We have the Silver Nevada Spike and the Arizona Spike coming along with the Stanford Mall. And beginning in early May, running through June, all of these items will be on public display, free to the public in the Gold Room of the Utah State Capitol Building. This has never happened before. It probably will never happen again. The Lincoln document has been resting for decades. It will go from here to the Lincoln Library in uh, Springfield, uh, Illinois, and then we'll go back to the... uh, U.S. archives to rest for many, many decades, but this is something that I would hope everyone We'll see Mr. Eccles uh, and the Eccles family have been kind enough to help sponsor this, and this is going to be called the Spencer F. Eccles Treasures event at the Utah State Capitol Building. Wow, I am so looking forward to that and seeing those artifacts and those
1: items on the ninth and the tenth. Boy, those are the big days, the culmination of it all. Utah is the epicenter of this, although it, it affects so many other states, Nevada and Wyoming and California, all the way back to Omaha of course. But how fortunate we are here in the state of Utah to be the epicenter. And, Nathan, you and I have already talked about this. We've had some phone call conversations about, boy, talk about artifacts. These are rolling stock artifacts that will be coming to the state of Utah, complements of Union Pacific. What's coming up?
2: These are, like you said, once-in-a-lifetime kind of opportunities. And really, a sesquicentennial is never going to happen again. We're bringing two steam locomotives into Utah. We're going to have the 4014 in its uh, maiden re-voyage, and we're going to have the 844. And it is going to be, th- these are two iconic uh, steam locomotives. They're going to be nose-to-nose at Ogden Union Station on May 9th. The public's invited. We are so excited to bring this unique experience to, to Utah and the world.
1: Now, the 844 is uh, you know just one of those great working trains. We had the 833 in Pioneer Park for a long time, yes. and the 833 has been up at uh, Union Station now for quite a while. But the 844 is a sister train. Tell us about the other one. You use the, the no- numerical title. I always call it the big boy. The big boy. It's the largest steam
2: locomotive that was ever built. That series of locomotives, uh, and this is the uh, this is the locomotive that uh, people have been waiting to see. It, it, it hasn't been it hasn't been functional for years. It was in a museum. We've taken it to our steam shop in in Wyoming, where our heritage fleet operations have been working to restore this. And, and as you can imagine, you can't go to your local locomotive shop and buy parts and pieces for this. Yeah. We are we are machining and welding and and redesigning and, and putting all kinds of blood, sweat, and tears into making this uh, amazing piece of machinery, this historic piece of machinery,
1: uh, run again under its own power. For anybody who's ever seen that, it's like a living, breathing, steaming building. You you stand next to that thing. It's gigantic. Doug... I am so excited to see it myself, my family, and for the people of Utah and the Intermountain West to have the opportunity to see that at Ogden Station. That's
0: cool. Well, it's only appropriate to be at Ogden Union Station, which is just a a great place. But Ogden has really taken up the gauntlet on this. They've They've accepted the challenge. They're closing down Wall Avenue. They're going to have an amazing party. I wish we could talk to you about what's going on at Promontory Summit. It's amazing. Craig Jessup's doing amazing things. We've got a great cultural celebration at the Conference Center, which will be with Megan Hilty and Brian Stokes Mitchell. And it's rare that the Utah Symphony and the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square, are together, but there are so, so many things. Go on to our website, spike150.org. It tells you what's happening, but we changed the world once. We're going to change it again, or as we say, we're going to party like it's 1869. (laughs) On the actual date at Promontory, I'm going to steal
1: 30 seconds from the next segment because this is the day.
0: It is Friday, May 10th. It is the date, and I am telling you, we've got the Spike 150 choir, uh, kids from all 29 counties, the Spike 150 band. We've got John Meacham, the presidential historian to uh, President uh, George Herbert Walker Bush is going to be there. We have so, so many things that are going to be happening. We're recreating the hell on wheels town that existed (laughs) at the time. I mean, I am telling you. Promontory Summit is going to rock. It's going to be the rockinest place in Utah.
1: Nathan Anderson, thank you for thank joining you, Doug. us from Union Pacific. What a great, great legacy! Thank you for sharing your time. And Doug, what a, what a pleasure it's been to uh, to work and see the a Herculean effort that you and so many others uh, on the Spike 150 Commission have been doing. It's incredible. Thank you for your great work.
0: Well, thank you, Dougie. And I have to say, people have been generous. And uh, to date, uh, we've raised uh, over $7.5 million. We've still got about a half a million left. But we are, this, was, this is going to be an event that's going to be go throughout the state. So I just hope everyone enjoys this great moment in time.
1: And the website, again, to get all the information.
0: Spike150.org.
1: All right. We're going to be talking with Max Cheng, who's also on the Spike 150 Commission. And we're going to talk about the often overlooked, at least the significance and the amazing work done by the Chinese workers, the Chinese legacy. That's coming up next with Max Cheng.
0: The golden spike at 150 years. A special look back at the Transcontinental Railroad. Here's Doug Wright on KSL News Radio.
1: It has been so much fun to talk about this amazing celebration that has its epicenter right here in the state of Utah. The 150th anniversary, the sesquicentennial of the driving of the Golden Spike, the uniting of the rails, and Spike 150 board member Max Chang joins us. In his day job, he's the chief operating officer of the American Estate Management Corporation. Max, it's been a real pleasure through this process to get to know you. It was fun to be out on the Western Grade. That was a lot of fun. Have you share stories along with others who were with us, but especially the Chinese railroad workers and that story? Can you just very briefly and unfortunately the short period of time we have tell us a little bit how how did these folks get over here and what were their roles and what was their what is their legacy
3: well the chinese railroad worker really their legacy is without the, without them the central pacific railroad probably would not have been able to be built um, they came over for, I would say, two reasons, the push and pull factors. The push factor was there was a Taiping rebellion going on in China where over 30 million people died. Uh, there's famine and so forth. Those people needed to take care of their families. And so that's really what I call push factors. And there's the pull factor. there's the lure of gold, you know, 1849, there's a the gold rush. And they were thinking, wow, we could fill our pockets with gold. The Gamsan, you know, the Gold Mountain, which is actually what they call San Francisco now, and fill back, you know, and so they came over here. They helped fill the void um, for the transcontinental railroad because as the Central Pacific was starting to be built, they found it was very difficult to keep workers. And so they did a test run with about fifty Chinese railroad workers, and they found that they were actually quite good. And Strobridge, uh, who was this basically the superintendent, said, "Well, we don't really want the Chinese. They're not going to be able to work hard. They're they're small. They're only about five foot, one hundred pounds, one hundred ten yeah. pounds at most." And his boss, Charles Crocker, says, well, didn't they build the Great Wall? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Their legacy, as you look back,
1: I remember, you know, when we were studying this in school, you, you knew that there were Chinese workers, but there seemed to be a focus on the Union Pacific. There seemed to be a focus on the Irish. There seemed to be a focus on the Big Four that built the Central Pacific Have the Chinese workers, are they getting their due? And in the past, in your
3: opinion, have they had their due, Max? I think from an educational point of view, probably not. You know, when I was in seventh grade in Utah history, I felt that the Chinese world workers at best were a footnote. And It's really at the age of 12 that I said that I would actually not go to Promontory Summit until I had that the Chinese either got their due or I had the opportunity to help get their due. And with this 150th, we had this opportunity. Although I had to say, like, in the 50th anniversary, on the 50th anniversary, there was a parade in Ogden. And I was looking up some research, and in the Solid Tribune, there were pictures of these three men, and these, these Chinese men. These three Chinese men are actually surviving members of the f- crew, a crew of eight that wow. laid the final rail at Promontory Summit in 1869. And the Tribune's little subtitle said, Today, they had their day of glory. Oh, that's great. And the 150-year anniversary,
1: hopefully even more glory, which is richly deserved. What is happening and transpiring? And some of the things are already in the rearview mirror here to honor the Chinese railroad
3: workers. What have we already done, and what is yet to come? Well, I think, first of all, we're going to have the most comprehensive celebration of the Chinese railroad worker in the history of the Golden Spike. Uh, What we have done is, first of all, we've changed curriculum in the schools. And I personally have developed a program where I go into the schools and teach kids about the chinese role worker i 've also done professional development for teachers in four different districts so far, and hopefully counting uh, we 've had we 're created i believe art art is a great way of telling a story about people hopefully creating empathy, giving people some inspiration to learn more and so we 're bringing in a musical plays um, art exhibits, and so forth.
1: We got a little preview we uh, screened this was back a couple of months ago. We screened Union Pacific, the big movie that was
3: made. And you introduced some guests, and we got a little taste of what that musical will be like. Yeah, the musical is called Gold Mountain, written by award-winning composer and lyricist uh, Jason Ma. is being directed by Alan Morocca, who has been on Sesame Street for oh, twenty-one years, and is a uh, really esteemed actor. And our star, Ali Ewald, is the first Asian American to play. Christine Diet on Broadway in Phantom of the Opera, and she just finished a two-and-a-half-year run this past November. Now, when are we going to be able to see this? It is actually going to be May 8th and 9th here in Salt Lake City at the Regent Black Box Theater, but it's actually already sold out. Right. But please join us <laughs> at the Perry's Egyptian Theater in Ogden, gorgeous theater, as you know, as a movie oh, buff. I love one of that the best. theater. And we still have tickets available for, for that.
1: Max, this has been such a pleasure to have you join us for this special conference weekend broadcast highlighting everything that's happening around the sesquicentennial. I wish you the very, very best. How many kids have seen your or heard your presentation so far?
3: Well, I think by the end of we, by the end of this month, well, probably about 750, and then hopefully 1,000 by May.
1: Oh, that is great, Max Chang, joining us here on our conference special. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Rick Turley and the legacy of the Transcontinental Railroad on the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.
0: The Golden Spike at 150 years: A special look back at the Transcontinental Railroad. Here's Doug Wright on KSL News Radio
1: as we celebrate the 150. 50th year anniversary of the driving of the Golden Spike. I'm just delighted to have Richard E. Turley, Managing Director of Public Affairs Department of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I probably ought to put a junior on that too, shouldn't I? That's correct. Yeah, exactly. Rick, it's always a pleasure. I think you have been on more conference specials with me over now these many, many years than anybody else, and there's a really good reason for that. you you have such an incredible knowledge of so many things that have to do with history in general and, of course, history as it relates to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Let's talk railroad. Sounds great. One of the reasons I've always been led to believe that after the exodus from Nauvoo, that the church was able to grow, flourish, and even survive was because of its isolation. That was kind of the goal. Yes. When the railroad had to be in the backs of the mines of the leadership of the church at that time, Brigham Young specifically. How excited was he to have the railroad heading for Utah?
4: Contrary to popular belief, Brigham Young was actually very excited to have the railroad come to Utah. He had ridden railroads in his past when he was a missionary in England. Of course, there were railroads there, the railroads in the eastern United States. And he had a number of challenges that he faced as president of the church that he thought the railroad would help to fix. One of the major challenges was what they, in those days, called the gathering. When you joined the church in those days, you were requested to gather to the church's headquarters, which was Salt Lake City. And there had been challenges getting the saints, particularly across the the plains of, of North America, We all remember the handcart tragedies Mm -hmm. in 1856. There were additional challenges uh, with getting people across. So he saw the railroad as as a solution to that problem. He was also one who saw the railroad as a solution to construction of the Salt Lake Temple. He announced the temple in 1847. He broke ground for it and laid a cornerstone in 1853. But construction was really slow, largely because it was difficult to get the granite blocks from the canyons to the downtown area. And so he saw a railroad spur as a solution to that problem. He was also what today we would call an early adopter of technology. <laughs> right. In his own innovative mind, he conceived the idea of having a small railroad that would go from the kitchen in his home to the dining room table, bringing food out, kind of a precursor of those uh, sushi shops that have the conveyor belts to go around. I
1: like this concept.
4: So he really liked the idea of a railroad and therefore supported it. With labor, he pulled workers from the Salt Lake Temple and had them go out and help build the railroad so that it could be completed, the Transcontinental Railroad.
1: We've seen a lot of television shows, some of them have been a little notorious, that depict Brigham Young's role and the dealings with Thomas Durant and everybody else. What was it really like?
4: Well, he wanted the railroad completed, but he hoped it would be completed closer to Salt Lake City since he wanted to have... People and supplies come directly into Salt Lake City. When the decision was made to complete it further north, he was not happy about that. But, of course, once the railroad was completed, there was a spur that came down to Salt Lake City. And then, as I mentioned, he put a spur out to the, the quarries and then additional railroad Line went to help him get south on his uh, annual jaunts down there.
1: As far as you mentioned the supplying of uh, a lot of the labor, especially up in Echo Canyon, how was that handled and how many members of the church at that time, under Brigham Young's direction or perhaps even his orders, were participating?
4: It was a very large contingent of people. As I said, it it virtually took away the labor for the construction of the Salt Lake Temple, which at that time was the major public works project in the area. He also saw advantages to his people in that these were labor contracts, so he was able to get funding when they paid their bills, uh, to, to pay for, for the people and also to, to help push forward other projects. Did they
1: get paid appropriately?
4: Well, payment was always a sore spot for Brigham Young, not only with the railroad, but with the federal government and others. Uh, Things weren't set up with internet, you know, quick transfer of money like it is today, and it was difficult for him to get paid.
1: When it Finally was Ogden was going to be the the junction city. D- did Brigham Young fight that? Did he make a real effort to maybe reroute it into Salt Lake City?
4: Uh, well, he was not happy. Uh, but, you know, once the decision was made and he realized there wasn't much he could do about it, I think he he basically reconciled himself to it, at least uh, intellectually, perhaps not emotionally.
1: What was the participation of the leadership of the church at that time when the big celebrations, that's what we're honoring here in just a little while, that driving of the Golden Spike, there's the famous champagne picture where the nose-to-nose engines meet. What was happening with the church members that day?
4: Again, because of the location of that and because of its distance from, from Salt Lake City, the participation was not what you might expect it to be today when generally you would have senior church leaders at an event like that. Um, Their main goal was to get it once it was completed down to to Salt Lake. The dissatisfaction with the speediness of the pay, the location of it, and the fact that there were some people who wanted it to run north because they thought that it would help to erode the church's influence, all of those played into the dissatisfaction of the church leadership with the the final events, even if they supported the general concept of a railroad. I, I think the... Other factor to keep in mind with completion of the railroad is that they knew that completing the railroad would bring influences into the community that had not existed in as sizable a form previously. Right. right. Uh, that that had an upside and a downside. The, the downside was they felt that they were going to have to prepare their people for this sudden influx of influences that they hadn't had in great quantities before. The other component was they saw it as an opportunity in a lot of ways. It was an opportunity to do missionary work. It was an opportunity to bring people and supplies in quickly. There was one downside that they never quite overcame, at least in that early time period, and that is that once people began coming on the railroad to Salt Lake City and didn't have the overland trek that had been seen as a rite of passage, there were some people, including some senior church leaders, who felt that the new members coming in were soft because they never had to go through that rite of passage that others had to go through at the time. You
1: know, it's interesting. isn't? I remember even with the Daughters of the Utah Pioneers, of which many members of my family are members, but my grandmother was not because her lineage came to Utah in the 1890s, yes. <laughs> and they used to rankle her a
4: little bit. Well, it did become a dividing line. Yeah. People who came before 1870 and could say that they had walked at least part of the distance because yeah. the, you know, the, the trail got shorter and shorter as time went on and the railroad you know, started to come west. But those who could say that they at least walked partly across the plains kind of had bragging rights, yeah. and they they generally did feel that they had accomplished something that others did not. It's kind of like the you know sacrifices that Boy Scouts make when they go on fifty mile hikes, right. or that that the p- kids make when they go on trek today, as, as they call it. Right. That
1: first decade following the eighteen seventies. Uh, was 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 it in balance the good versus the negative things that were brought by the railroad, or did it swing one way or the other?
4: It swung quite a bit in the direction of antagonism towards the church and its leaders. Uh, during that time period, Brigham Young and other senior church leaders were accused of various crimes related to events that had occurred during the Utah War, primarily or around the Utah War time period. Uh, they were arrested. They were hauled before judges. Uh, ultimately, the the biggest charges against them were dismissed when the US Supreme Court found that there were procedural errors in the way the courts were established at that time but in 18 in the mid 1870s with the passage of uh, one particular act of congress it changed the way that juries were selected mm-hmm. it was during that time period that that uh, there were some fairly well-known prosecutions, particularly the the trial of John D. Lee for the Mountain Meadows massacre and right. and other things. So, at least in the in the latter part of Brigham Young's administration, uh, there were there were a lot of. I'll just say that there were a lot of influences that he considered to be negative. At the same right. time, he recognized the the benefits of the railroad. Uh, For the reasons I mentioned earlier.
1: In the old days, uh, in order to have a new uh, territorial governor or somebody or to have a federal marshal, it it was quite an ordeal, just as it was for the pioneers to get to Utah. But boy, with the rails, that uh, dramatically changed.
4: Well, and of course, uh, with the completion of the telegraph before that, Mm -hmm. communication, as far as the word, began to go back and forth very quickly with the completion of the railroad that very quickly uh, eclipsed the Pony Express and mail and goods could go back and forth quickly. And for for Brigham Young, that was important because there, there were a lot of things that the church and its members needed.
1: Maybe we could pass where we were out of balance and get a little bit deeper into to the history as we approached the, the turn of the century, the yes. 20th century. What did the railroad mean to the church?
4: The railroad meant for the church, a way to connect with the rest of the world. Uh, church leaders, Frequently rode the railroad. They thought it was a very important means of transportation to get them to the various uh, branches of the church, not only in the United States, but also uh, further south and north.
1: Richard, always a pleasure to have you with us. We could chat for hours about the various uh, histories. I know you just got back from Rome and made time for us, and this is always a great pleasure. Richard, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Doug. Richard E. Turley, Jr., Managing Director of the Public Affairs Department of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Joining us and coming up next, we'll be talking with the governor of the great state of Utah about the celebration, the sesquicentennial of the railroad.
0: The golden spike at 150 years. We celebrate the Transcontinental Railroad's 150th anniversary and the uniting of a nation. Here's Doug Wright on KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM.
1: Governor, we've spent the last hour here on KSL talking about the Spike 150 celebration. Of course, that's the sesquicentennial of the driving of the Golden Spike that happened right here in the state of Utah at Promontory Summit. We've talked with a lot of people about the impact of this monumental event. We got an overview from the Spike 150 Commissioner, Doug Foxley. We also talked with a representative from the Union Pacific Railroad. We've focused on the incredible labor from the Chinese community and, of course, the effect that the railroad had on and the work supplied by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. How about for the state of Utah? What does this sesquicentennial celebration
5: mean for our state? Well, it's nice to be the crossroads of the West, as we say about Utah all the time. And part of that's because of this golden spike, the joining of the transcontinental railroads right here in Utah at Promontory. And it was a great event, it's, it's probably one of the most historical, wonderful events in our nation's history that sometimes we just don't think about much. We don't think about joining the, the coast to coast here with rail, which changed the way we in fact colonized the West, the Intermountain West. Uh, got rid of the old covered wagons, and horse and walking and, and uh, now we can ride the train. And it became a lot less expensive, certainly a lot safer and a lot more convenient. So this is a, a major event. The other thing I like to remember is that uh, it showed that the country during the time of civil war could do something extra, extraordinary at the same time. We can do hard things as Americans. And this is an example of doing a very hard thing at a very difficult time in our country's history.
1: I remember when the uh, nation's state quarter program was underway and you were part of the administration at that time. There were several proposals made, but the one that ended up on the quarter was this very image.
5: The golden spike, and in fact, I went over to Colorado at the Denver Mint, and uh, saw them uh, cast the first quarter. In fact, pulled the, I think pushed the switch that actually made it happen. And again, it, it's it's a nice historic reminder of the unique location you Utah find itself and the perspective of history. So uh, again, as we continue to grow and develop it's a good image to remind ourselves of this great event where we joined the country and they came together in Utah. Guess what? It's happening already or still today. Uh, We are the crossroads of the West where we're doing a lot of things economically around the country, the most diverse economy, but we're doing things now internationally. And so not just are we the crossroads of the West, we're becoming the crossroads of the world.
1: When I got my letter uh, where you asked me to be on the commission, that was pretty cool, by the way. Thank you for that honor. And, There are a lot of people that have worked very, very hard on making this happen with you at at the helm. How big a deal is the actual celebratory event, and how much is going into it?
5: Well, I know Doug Foxley talks about you thought the 2002 Winter Olympics were big. Well, you see what happens here at the Golden Spike 150. So there is an effort to make sure that everybody understands and appreciates this wonderful event. And come and let's celebrate together on May 10th. It's a remarkable time in our country's history. And so let's uh, celebrate. Let's come together and, and, and celebrate those who've gone before. This was not an easy thing to do. Do you know that the record for the most miles in one day of laying rail is still held by the uh, Central Pacific Railroad, ten miles in one day, uh, which is like from here down to the point of the mountain. I mean, it's just a long ways that we've that they did with pick and shovel and backbreaking work. So again, there's just so many lessons to be learned there, and it's time for us together on the 105th anniversary, and celebrate, celebrate, celebrate.
1: We talk about some of the individuals and the notable people that will be here on that day. But we have some fairly historic and significant rolling stock that will be in here, too, including, I understand, the big boy and the 844.
5: <laughs> I think Union Pacific wants to celebrate with us and show some of their trains. We're all fascinated by trains. We all, you know, at least I grew up having a little electric train set and one of the funnest things I ever got at my Christmas time. And we're fascinated yeah. with trains go by and what they do and where they have come from and where they're going. Uh, we all have a little wanderlust, I think, as we look at the, the old days of the hobos hitching a ride on the train, you know, and where it's going. The picturesque views that you get from riding on a train, and so uh, it's going to be kind of a fun thing to do and celebrate with Union Pacific and the you know, remnants of the Central Pacific as we join the, uh, together here in celebration.
1: We want to thank everybody for participating in this very special program today here on KSL. But most of all, we want to thank you, our great KSL listeners, for joining us today. For those who would like more information, be able to find out exactly what your family can enjoy and look forward to during the Spike 50 Grand Celebration in our state, you can simply go to spike150.org. And again, thanks for being part of the program today.